do a one-off. This is my last sermon for... I won't be preaching in May. I'll be away. be away in, in Wales for most of that time. Looking forward to going back. And I will spend another week back here uh, just thinking about what uh, really I'll be preaching on throughout the summer. So I've chosen a one-off. I don't usually do that, but I like doing it. And I'm doing it because a verse stood out to me from this incredibly brilliant psalm, Psalm 102. Let me give you an introduction to the psalm that I've read. I haven't read it all. It's a bit longer than what I have read. But it's a prayer of an individual Israelite who sees an analogy between his plight and that of Jerusalem. It seems to be the case that he is writing during the time that Jerusalem was in ruins. It was a mess. He's writing during the exile. He's writing when lots of the people of God aren't even there, but away in Babylon. And Israel itself is in ruins, a little bit like Kiev in Ukraine. And the psalmist is in distress. And he wants God to deliver him in the midst of this ruin. Most commentators, as I said, believe this happened sometime after the fall of Jerusalem. The heading in the NIV helps us understand a little bit of the context. A prayer of an afflicted man when he is faint and something and pours out his lament before the Lord. And before I take my text, I want to emphasize what we're speaking about here. We are reading a lament. A lament. It's one of the penitential psalms. In the psalm, the believer who's writing is lamenting his state and the state of the church. Let me prove that to you from verses 1 to 11. Verse 2, I am in distress. My bones burn like glowing embers. I forget to eat my food. Loud groaning, I am reduced to skin and bones. Like an owl among the ruins, my enemies taunt me. I wither away like grass. Wow, that's negative. That's pretty negative. But I want to say today, that it's in the Bible because there's a place for us to lament. There's a place for us to recognize the situation we are in and to lament about it. It's interesting. When it comes to lament, you don't get that much of it in the Evangelical Church of America. Rather, it's all a beat. Actually, most of our songs 
Modern songs are pretty upbeat. I think that's right, isn't it? I don't know. We, we need to look at that. Most of them are pretty upbeat. And I want them to be upbeat. Please don't get me wrong. I think it's important to have upbeat songs. But as well as upbeat, there is also lament. Because I am not a happy bunny all the time. Not. And if you think you are happy bunnies all the time, you know you're not. You're not. There's a time to lament before God. There's a time to cry out before God. Now, some preachers might, might, on hearing this, say, oh, your pastor, he's so negative. Why doesn't he speak positive truth all the time? You get the extremes, of course, the extremes being the whole health and wealth uh, movement. And the health and wealth movement would teach you something like this. You need to speak positive all the time. Speak truth. And you've got power in words. And your words will make a huge difference to God because he works like that. So if you're ill, you say, I am well. I am well. If you're down, you say, well, I am really on top of the world. You say the opposite. And your words will have power to change. Lord of nonsense. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Lord of nonsense. I'm not for a negative person. And I do agree that people speak themselves into negativity and can be so negative they continue to be negative. I accept that. That's true. And we need to be positive. Nothing wrong with that. To be positive, as we'll see, is a good thing. But it's not good to ignore the reality of your soul, wherever you're at. We are called to be honest brokers of the soul. And our words aren't meant to be empty, but full. All of us have tensions in our lives. We have the tensions of how we should be and how we are. How we would love things to be and how things are going. And these tensions harm us and they're part of our experience. I've told this story before. I hope your memories are not too good, so it'll come over as new, but I know I have. In my last church, every Friday, I would look after a Christian bookstore in a sort of multi, uh, what do you call it, multi-market, indoor market. And I would stand there, and it was a great opportunity. I'd meet different people all the time, speaking about the gospel and speaking about the Christian faith. It was great. I loved it. I I did my sermon prep there. Those were the days when I did sermon prep on Friday. That was a bit rough, sermon prep on Friday. I finish my sermon prep by Tuesday now, okay? That's my my former self. And one day I I was uh, sitting there, and uh, a lady comes up. And I knew her, and I said, how are things? Nice to see you. She went to a, a, a totally different church than I went to. And I said, how's your church? Was oh, she said, I haven't been lately. I said, 
I know, she was someone who was on fire. You know, she loved going to church. I said, you haven't been? No, she said, no, no. I said, you know, I, I'd like to find out. Well, why haven't you been? Oh, she said, well, they prayed for me. I said, what? <laughs> what do you mean they prayed for you? And now you're not going. Well, well, she said, I wear glasses. And the leaders felt that they needed to pray for her to heal her eyes. And they did that and told her she's got to believe that her eyes are healed. And they will be healed. Of course, she went home and her eyes weren't healed. She still needed glasses. So she said, I can't go back to the church. I'm too embarrassed because everyone will think that my faith is nothing. I want to say this. I praise God for glasses. See my new glasses? Do you like my new glasses? I praise God for them. Praise God for them. I smashed them. I am not... If it, do you know, if you need glasses, get a pair of glasses and thank God for them. We get old and that's how it is. This utter nonsense that comes from the Christian pulpit sometimes. The problem is they're so positive, they lead people to negativity. Because they push positivity far too much. What she needed was prayer, sympathy, love, and yes, yeah, yeah, we, you know, we've all got to work with this, we've all got our things to go through in life and grace. That's what she needed, not a sort of command to be positive. That church had no place for lament in the theology. No place. No lamenting. Nothing really goes wrong. Lament is needed. Lament is biblical. Lament is all the way through the scriptures. It's in the classic hymnology that we sing. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, oh, take and seal it to thy throne above. In other words, lament is like a confession a necessary part of our Christian experience. Not an excuse to be negative. I, I emphasize that. I don't want anyone to go out and say, oh, the pastor is saying it's okay to be negative. It's good to be... No, I'm not saying that. I, it's good to be honest. That's all. It's good not to pretend. So, in our prayers, in our personal prayers, in our public prayers, it's good to lament as well as to praise God. Having said all that, verse 12 shows us, okay, that there is a place for positivity. I'm just uh, arguing that, uh, or, or verse 13. You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to show favor to her at the appointed time has come. There is a God 
We need to lift our souls to him, and he can make a difference. Now, I'm, trying to, I'm playing a balancing act, all right, with these two themes. But then, only now, I come to my text. <laughs> and it's a text that hit me early one morning as I was having my quiet time. And the text is taken from verse 14. Verse 14. It's an odd text, I admit this. It's an odd text. But I'm an odd guy, so odd texts often work on someone like myself. And what I do is, when something touches me, I write. I write it. I write it all out. And, and so I went back to it. It, just, it was just a few months ago this happened. And really, I'm sharing what touched me just a few weeks ago. And here's the text, and it's not in the NIV, I think it's from the New Jerusalem Bible. I like reading different versions. Verse 14. For your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favour to her dust. <laughs> you think, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Let me read it again. For your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favour to her dust. The NIV reads, For her stones are dear to your servants, her very dust moves them to pity. Remember the context that we went over. He is speaking from a ruined Jerusalem where there are stones all over the place and dust and rubble. But when he speaks about himself, he confesses as one of God's servants that he takes pleasure in her stones. He takes pleasure even in the rubble, even in the dust of the rubble. He takes pleasure. God obviously cares for Zion. God obviously loves Jerusalem. Verse 16, the Lord will rebuild Zion. He will. But the psalmist also says that God's servants, including himself, take pleasure in her stones and show favour to her dust. I love this passage. I know it's odd, but it's wonderful. It's wonderful because when I look at the church in America and the church in Wales, often I see ruins and stones. I see rubble. Covid has done its harm to the church. We have lost people. There are ruined services throughout New England, if you like. But even though that is the case, even though the church is imperfect, let's put it like that. One of the things we talked about this morning in adult education was what are some of the key things that are wrong with church? And you know, if we'd have spent more time, we could have looked at our own church and, and spent time looking at all the, the faults and whatever. And if you're a visitor here, I want to assure you of something, that we've got faults. 
We're not proud of them, but we've got them. We've got them. But even though we've got them, I want to say this. I take pleasure in East Baptist Church. I take pleasure. You say, but, but it's imperfect. Of course it's imperfect. The same as I am imperfect. God's servants are called to love even the dust. Even when the city has been destroyed. And what was said of Jerusalem, what was said of Zion, I believe we can say of the church. We can love and care for her stones. Stones. Rubble. Dust. Because the church is so far from being perfect. A number of years ago, lots of my illustrations are coming from Wales because Wales is on my mind, you know, so, so forgive me. And uh, I, I remember a number of years ago uh, speaking to a, a group of believers and two of the believers there, I said, oh, where do you go to church? They said, oh, we don't go. I said, what? You're believers? And they were talking about the Lord and everything. No, no, we don't go. We don't go. We just, we just meet, meet midweek and um, that's okay. I said, why don't you go? Well, she said, the churches aren't like the early church. They're not like the early church. So we don't go. We'll only go to a church that's like the early church. So I said, which early church do you think is the best? How about the Corinthians? The Corinthians were immoral, had friction, had all sorts of problems. Or would you go back to the Galatian church, which was in danger of heresy in believing that you were saved through works and circumcision? And then I turned to the seven churches of Revelation. And there's a lot of things which were negative about the seven churches of Revelation. And in the end I said, so what early church would you go to? Would you go to Timothy's church, which were all sorts of problems going on? Would you go to... And we went on and on and on about that. The church has always been in need of repair from the very beginning. The church of Jesus in his disciples was in need of repair. Over those three years, it was an ongoing thing. You will not find a perfect church. You will not even find a brilliant, wonderful church. And, and you know it's just a few faults. You will find churches full of sinners. Full of sinners. And you will be one of them. And I am one of them. And God calls me and calls you to love those sinners and to love that community, and to help heal that community. Even though we're imperfect, God takes pleasure in the stones, even in the dust. 
Those stones I see as illustrations of people. I love the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 2. The whole chapter speaks to this theme. But let me read one verse. We are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. We are like living stones built into a spiritual house. It probably wouldn't be a good thing for me to welcome people to the church and say, oh, you look like a stone this morning. And I, I understand that. I understand that. But it's fair to say that we are living stones. I'm a great fan of David Livingstone, by the way. I encourage you to read his autobiography, which is brilliant, absolutely marvellous. He's a real hero, always been a hero to me, living stone. But the word living stone is taken from there. Believers are living stones, building a community. We've lost some stones <laughs> over these last few years. But we need to rebuild. And the call this summer, this autumn, is to rebuild. Now, stones are great. I love stones, by the way. I love stones. Let me confess to you a temptation I once had. When I go back to Wales, one of the things I will be doing most definitely will be going to old churches and monasteries. Medieval. I love it. Oh, utter joy. So I go and I look around, and I remember once going to a monastic site. And obviously, it was in ruins. It was in ruins. That was obvious it was in ruins. But uh, still beautiful. Still beautiful. If you want to read a great poem, by the way, read Tintin Abbey by William Wordsworth. Though absent long, these forms of beauty shall not be to me as is a, a landscape to a blind man's eye. But oft with the din of towns and cities, I have owed to them in hours of weariness, sensation sweet felt along the blood and heart and passing into my pure mind with tranquil restoration. It's all about a ruin. It all comes out of a ruin. So there's something wonderful in a ruin. But I went to this, it wasn't Tintin, it was another one in South Wales, and my friend and myself were walking round, and we saw a pile of stones, grass growing round them, all loose, just put in a corner. And they were carved stones. Medieval carved stones. Just put to one side. Nobody would notice if I took one. Just one. I would care for that stone so much. I would put it on my desk. I would just clean it up and look after it and put it on my desk. Oh, it was a temptation to love that stone and to take it away. Nobody would know, except God and myself and all the people who'd come to my office and see this medieval carved stone there. 
But the temptation was a good one. I didn't fall to it. But it was a good one in one sense. It was a good one because I wanted to honor that stone. I didn't like the fact that it was thrown to one side. Didn't like it. But the best place for that stone was to be back in the building. That's the best place. Because they look great. These carvings look wonderful. And I think the carving we've got there is, a, is probably something like a 12th, 13th century medieval Celtic carving. But the best place to see these are in the buildings themselves, as part of the buildings, as part of the whole. And I want to challenge you today and say, be a part of the whole. You're not just a stone by yourself. You are part of a whole building, a spiritual temple, a community that God is building. We all have our place as stones in this building. Those of you who are listening at home, the same is true. It's not all the same. <laughs> Those of you who are... No, right. Oh, there's something got wrong with, with the thing. That, they, they should have been here. You know, that's the reason anyway, but that's besides the point. The building needs stones. And the carved stones are better as part of the building. The building works when all the stones are where they should be. And as we come into this rebuilding period, I want to challenge you and say, are you willing to be built in to this community? Are you willing to give your life for the church, your time? your energies, your finance, your passion. I quoted earlier the words of Jesus when he, or was it the words of a commentator on Jesus who said, zeal for thy house hath consumed me. Zeal for thy house hath consumed me. I think it's John's Gospel, chapter 2, at the guess. Actually, it's, it's there in the seminary, that verse in Latin is uh, at one of the seminary doors. Zeal for thy house hath consumed me. How much does the future of church consume you? Because if we are followers of Jesus, we must be consumed by that. I pray that this summer would be a time of cons being consumed with the great things that God has begun in Jesus Christ. May God encourage you and bless you. You will, you've got a great month in front of you. You've got a number of different preachers coming, I think. Are you starting? You're doing next week? Jim is preaching next week. We've got Tobin and Brian and Tyler as well preaching over the month. It's going to be a great month. Let your zeal for these stones bring you in order to hear God's message from his servants. And they are all servants 
who love stones and the dust of his Baptist church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your zeal for the church. May we imitate you, O Lord, in a zealous way. Help us be the stones that beautify this community. In Jesus' name. Amen.